This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. The Reds reign in ruins after Alison Becker's blunders send City striding towards the title. I'm Guy Clark as we look back here on the 4-1 home defeat to Manchester City at Anfield. Alongside me, our Liverpool correspondent, Paul Gorst, Joe Rimmer and Sean Bradbury. Gorsty, I'll come straight to you. Do Liverpool now have any authority in the title race? <laughs> I've seen someone, someone do this, Jackie, we were thinking this morning and I thought, that's old news now, come on, that was Friday. Oh, sorry. Friday, thing. So let, let's move on from that one. I still don't even quite get it, to be honest. But yeah, it, uh, no question. I mean, Liverpool have given themselves a fighting chance with the wins against Tottenham and West Ham and all they needed to do really was beat Brighton at home, which doesn't sound too difficult to task. It's one that they've done every time they played them since the early 80s. But um, as uh, true to form as things are at the moment, we couldn't get that done. And then that pretty much left them grasping at straws, didn't it, with regard to yesterday. And yeah, no question now, it's it's done and dusted as far as Liverpool are concerned. City are going to go 13 clear, aren't they, whenever they, they do play that game in hand, you would imagine they've won the last 13 14 now in all competitions, last 10 in the Premier League. Liverpool have taken two points from the last 15 available at Anfield, I think. Uh, no win there since the 16th of December. So however way you slice it, Liverpool aren't going to be winning the Premier League title. So now it's just about the, the top four, um, which was something that Klopp kind of admitted a couple of weeks back himself. And um, that's always been the, the primary focus in terms of he knows what he's going to be able to, to, be able to work with in terms of money and players that he can attract in the summer once that is secured. So I just think it's it's imperative that Liverpool make sure they're in, the, in that top four in May because once everyone's back fit and firing next season, then Liverpool have got just as good a chance as City winning the league. But they just need to make sure while people are, are out injured that they finish in the top four to give themselves the best chance of doing that again next season. Yeah, no, certainly we, we've we got no fans at Anfield. The the wretched home form, Sean. Alison Becker doing a, a Loris Carius impression, the title race being over. Where do you want to start? Oh, well, do I, do I get the choice of where to start? Well, yeah, I guess, I mean, just to pick up on what Gorsi was saying about the title, I think, I think it is without a doubt gone. It is now a battle for the top four and hopefully being able to salvage something from the season in terms of kicking on in the Champions League, which I, I do wonder whether... Just the fact that it's that it's two legs, that it's something very different, that hopefully a different narrative can enter the dressing room and clock can kind of prepare them in a different way. Whether that might almost be a bit of a welcome distraction uh, from the toils that have held Liverpool back in the league. But yeah, I think I think the title's gone. But like like Ghosty was saying, I, I don't think really that yesterday was... It might well have been the final nail of the coffin, but it's certainly not been performances against the bigger and better teams, if you like, that have held Liverpool back this season. I think they're pretty much almost still at the top of that little mini league that often gets spoken about when you look at the five or six biggest teams in the league. You know, they've, they've done pretty well there, obviously, against Spurs, uh, Chelsea so far, got a point at the Etihad, even though it all went wrong yesterday. But yeah, I think if, you, if you're looking at diagnosing what's gone wrong, there's, there's, there's myriad things really, isn't there? But I think you, you've got to point the finger at the laboured performances and, and the poor results against the stragglers, really, and how some of Liverpool's strongest weapons have been, unfortunately, blunted this season. Um, and and I think yeah, just it's that it was that period of games over Christmas and into January where teams with a very similar game plan and I think teams with a, a particular advantage this season, which which weakened Liverpool in the sense of less energy on the pitch from from both teams, less pressing. Liverpool's greatest playmaker obviously was was redundant 
Um, so yeah, it's all it's all spelled up into something that means Liverpool are already competing for the title now. Um, I think you know if if they beat City, at least would have it would have showed other teams that City can still be beaten. But they just look imperious, don't they? I don't see this run ending anytime soon. But yeah, hopefully Klopp can kind of change change that dynamic a little bit, try and take the pressure off in the league and and you know forge on in the Champions League. Hopefully. Yeah, Joe, it, it didn't really feel like a 4-1 game, did it? City had five shots on target. I think Alisson obviously making that save that fell to Gundogan for the opener and City scored four goals. Was it really as bad as the scoreline suggests? Yeah, I've been thinking about it. I don't think the game was actually as bad as perhaps uh, tonight, uh, last night and, and, and today. Um, you know, Klopp said afterwards that he'd seen some, some good things in the performance and I, I'd agree with him, I thought. I thought the commentary was very strange. And I thought at half-time, Liverpool went in. I thought they were the better side. They certainly created the, the two better chances. And, and Mane's header over the bar and Firmino's snapshot. And, you know, I, I thought they did all right. They matched City. Um, and they matched City at a time when City are playing their best stuff and Liverpool really aren't. So I thought they went too bad. And then and then it did turn on, on really bad mistakes. And, you know, I think it's easy to sit afterwards and say, Liverpool really poor but I don't I don't think that's quite true as Sean said I think what's cost Liverpool is the performances against teams like Brighton Newcastle um, West Brom Fulham um, you, you look at all those games and you know I mean Liverpool got thrashed by City last season after they won the title at the Etihad um, that can happen City is such a good side it's those sorts of games that, that against the, the bottom teams that Liverpool Winning last season and um, and and doing it every single week, and they're the sort of games that win you the title, isn't it? Aren't they? So you, you can't win the title if you if you can't beat the, the teams further down the table, and and Liverpool haven't been able to do that this season. It's cost them. So I didn't think they were that bad yesterday. I think some big big errors turned the game, and then once City get away from you, you know it's very very difficult. And Foden scored a, a really really classy goal at the end, but you know. Before those mistakes, it was pretty even. I don't think uh, I think City's goal, their opener, came against the run of play a little bit. So I don't think they were that bad. Um, and there's been some strange reactions today. You know, like I'm sure we'll get into some of the reactions afterwards. But some of the pundit reactions, very very strange. I didn't get half time. I didn't get the, the analysis from even from Carragher and, and Neville on commentary. Just almost looking uh, confused that Liverpool weren't, weren't quite as good as they have been, you know, in recent seasons. And I, I kind of think, well, you know, they've, they've been obliterated by injuries and and it's easy to say that's an excuse, but it's a fact. You know, not not every not every time you give a reason for things going wrong is that an excuse. It's just a reason, you know. Liverpool haven't been as good when there's no fans and that's not, you know, that's not an excuse. That's a reason. And, you know, it's, it's up to Liverpool to be better um, when, the, when the fans aren't around. But, you know, that, that is a clear reason. And anyone who watches Liverpool every week, you know, you, you'd be mad to deny that. So I thought I thought all the reactions have been pretty strange. But the performance in itself, um, I don't think was that bad up until those mistakes. Yeah, we'll get on to the reaction shortly. Gorsty, let's touch on Alison Becker. I think I, I saw a statistic floating around there on 60 games. Had he not sort of contributed any errors leading to goals and then he comes up with two in one game two in the space of two minutes was it just a, a 10 minute spell where everything went wrong for the Reds or is it something deeper rooted I don't think it's anything deeper rooted with regards to Alisson it was just a really strange few moments for him where he, he just completely he just seemed to be in a state of panic I mean there was, there was the first one wasn't there where he gets away with it Fabinho's clearance isn't great it comes back to him 
and then that is when the, when the, the problem starts and then from there on in his, his head's just totally gone and it's so it's kind of out of character for, for, for a goalkeeper like him I remember one mistake against Leicester in his first season and that was maybe due to overconfidence but since then nothing really major but, but these were two glaring unavoidable errors within five minutes of each other five or six minutes and um, completely avoidable and, and I, I felt for, for Liverpool really as a team because as Joe says I thought they played quite well given the, the problems that they've had the, the well documented problems that we've all spoken about they were still matching City and given that they just got back into it with Salah's penalty it looked like they could have went on and, and really forced the issue and, and given themselves a, a shot in the arm so I think they were undone by two massive goalkeeper mistakes and a couple of couple of mates of mine were having an argument in a WhatsApp group yesterday. One was saying that it's unlucky, uh, and another one who's an Everton fan was saying it wasn't. It was just really terrible goalkeeping, which um, I can kind of see both both sides. I mean, it was unlucky from the point that a goalkeeper of Allison's calibre, as, as you say, there he doesn't make too many of those mistakes. So, from a kind of analytics point of view, for him to make two of those in the same game is probably quite a small percentage of other guests but then on, on the other hand it was just really poor goalkeeping so um, he, he's got to take his medicine on this for the next few weeks and months and he'll move on he's still a world-class goalkeeper and, and a couple of mistakes doesn't really take the shine off that but um, yeah I mean you, you can't really avoid it that Liverpool were beaten because of those two massive errors yeah, if I'd done it in the, the Echo 11 aside team, I wouldn't be able to show my face to, to Sam Carroll. But anyway, let's let's move on and talk about the defence then. Sean, is this game the, the line in the sand as to midfielders not playing at centre-half or not least two of them together? There are now two new centre-backs in the building, of course. Yeah, I, I think that's that's really the, the, the main thing you take from the game, isn't it? Yeah, I, I agree with the guys. I think that the plan for this one was OK. You know, it was... Given Liverpool's record, as we mentioned, against the bigger teams this season, um, and you know you don't have to look back that far, do you? You know against against Spurs, it worked. It's it's worked in most of those encounters against the top sides. Um, I, I was having a debate, like like Ghost, he was saying, you no, know, in, in the WhatsApp groups pre-match, I had one mate particularly who was saying they need to repair the midfield now. That needs to be the priority ahead of City. You know, get Henderson back in there. Maybe even think about getting Fabinho back in there. But yeah, I I, I just thought. And I understand that. Is it worth the compromise anymore? And I certainly think going forward now, now you've got this dangerous game against City out the way, which unfortunately didn't go right. You've got a bit more time, haven't you, to get Quebec and get Davis up to speed and training as far as you possibly can. You know, Leicester's a big game. The Champions League game's a big coming up. There's a derby as well, but none of these are City. None of these are a team that's running away at the top of the table and are scoring goals for fun. And I find it pretty easy not to concede many as well. But it, for this one, yeah, I just thought it was it was maybe a little bit too soon to kind of release the shackles and it, it would have been a risk throwing the new lads in at this stage. And it also might have been a risk moving the, the, the guys who've been playing at the back back into midfield. Certainly in the case of Fabinho, I mean, I imagine he probably hasn't trained as a midfielder for quite a long time. Henderson, obviously we have seen him in midfield this season, but it, again, he's been filling at, at the back quite a bit. Um, but now, yeah, I, I just think it's it, it's got to be done, hasn't it? The, the midfield needs repair. I think Thiago has struggled a fair bit, partly because he's been parachuted into this patched-up team and just kind of asked to get on with it. And at times you've seen flashes of his quality, but I think he needs a bit of support in there. Always think back to when Fabinho signed and for a little spell as he was bedding in, you know, Liverpool went 4-2-3-1. They got someone there alongside him. I wonder if that's something that would help Thiago and, and Liverpool could look to do. But even if there's a chance to see a midfield of Fabinho, Henderson and Thiago, 
I think that it could just give Liverpool a really big lift. It would repair the whole right-hand side and get Henderson, Trent and Salah linking up again. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. It, it Basically, from now on, that's got to happen. But as, as, as the guys have said, especially in that first half, this, this plan came very close to work. And I thought Henderson, he's the main point of debate, isn't he? You know, did you get him back in midfield? Is that what Liverpool are really missing? But he was doing a passable impression of Van Dijk, I thought. And some of his long balls, the big diagonals were finding Trent and bringing him into the game in a different way than he would do from midfield and were sparking some of Liverpool's most dangerous moments. So, yeah, I think, you know, the, the reason for this defeat, you, you know, it's very, very rare that we'd be pointing the finger at Alisson, but it, but it was those two inexplicable errors and, City's excellence in taking advantage of them. But yeah, there's a full week now to try and change it up. And from here on in, I think he needs to repair the midfield as the first priority. Yeah, final point on the, the City game. I think Sean's bang on there, isn't he, about the, the new guys. I remember last week when we were recording and you said, well, regardless of the, the new defenders arriving now, the damage has seemingly already been done. And I suppose the script was written, really. You weren't going to throw Kabak or Davis into a game of this magnitude and maybe damage them going further forward. He, he went with the players who have been playing there. And I suppose that even gave an opportunity for Curtis Jones in midfield, who was definitely Liverpool's bright spark on the day. Yeah, I thought Curtis Jones was, was Liverpool's best player. And, you know, I, I think he's someone you can't ignore. You talk about the midfield there. You know, to me, Curtis Jones needs to be starting at the moment. I think he's had a fantastic season. And um, last yesterday, I think he, he showed um, desire, he, he, willingness to get forward, uh, willingness to take chances, um, and, and just a bit of youthful enthusiasm when Liverpool looked look, bereft of confidence at times, especially when City scored their first goal. I think Liverpool had done well in the first half and then that, that sort of hit them like a hammer. And um, Jones just took the fight to them a little bit and and I like that about him. You know, I think worst others, look, you could see, sort of looked as if, like, oh, this, here we go again, City have scored here. Jones just just picked the ball up and wanted to try and, and pull it back. He had a couple of shots, one that deflected wide the goal, didn't he? And, I thought he played really well. I'd like to see him in the midfield more often. I think I would take Thiago out the firing line just for a little bit um, and give him a, a break. I think he does look tired. Um, and perhaps just struggling with the expectation on him a little bit. Let's not forget about Thiago, that this is a player who came in um, against Chelsea or up here against 10 men. Chelsea and played very, very well. And then the Merseyside derby, you know, one of the most difficult games you can be thrown into for your first start was absolutely outstanding, you know, one of Liverpool's best players and then came off the bench against Newcastle and was excellent. So I, I'm not too worried about him not playing well recently because I think that just follows the trend of the entire team. But I do think he needs a break. Um, and I think, you know, I, I agree with Sean, I, I would try and get Kabak in now. Um, he looks the, the more likely of the two um, to come in. And, and I'd try and get Henderson into midfield. I just think they miss his energy. I think, I think the one thing this midfield needs... In Liverpool is, is energy because it it covers the pitch and it allows it covers for the fullbacks and it allows them to get forward. And I think at the moment, Wan Adams played about five hundred games this season. Thiago looks knackered, and and then the, you know you put a lot of responsibility on Jones. So you know I'd like to see a, a midfield in the next game of, of Henderson, Wan Adam, and Jones, and just try and get a bit of energy back into midfield um, because I think that's what they're really lacking at the moment. Um, but you know I, I do think. Sure's right. You know, I thought early doors. I thought some of the fullbacks, the way they they played crossfield passes to each other, that that was the Liverpool of old. You know, moving it quickly and, and shifting City, and it was creating spaces for for them to cross the ball and to to get better deliveries into the box. Um, 
but they just didn't do enough of it and it, it sort of petered away in the second half. But, you know, we could be having a different conversation about the defence had Alisson not made those mistakes. It's, it's difficult, isn't it? So um, it's, it's not like... I don't think the two centre-halves took the place out. Uh, they just, you know, they just have a knock-on effect in the midfield. Yeah, definitely. I might be being a bit harsh here, Gorsley, but obviously there's been those injuries, certainly at the heart of defence, which has fundamentally sort of damaged the structure of the Liverpool side. But are there senior players elsewhere on the pitch who need to maybe have taken more responsibility through the course of this season where the title bid has failed? I think sort of Trent Alexander-Arnold beaten a couple of times by Sterling, got the warning, the penalty that went over the bar, but then beaten again for the opener. Robertson likewise with Foden's goal at the end. And Sadio Mane seemed to have a couple of chances and, and didn't really take them either. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a fair point. I just, I just think, like Joe says, though, it's just such a knock-on effect, isn't it, where you're moving, you're moving your, your two central midfielders back to centre-back and then that means that you've got to play virtually every midfielder that you've got every game. And I think Thiago has looked a bit laboured and, and Juan Alam could probably do with a bit of a rest, but they're not really able to do it because Milner has, has been leggy at times and, and Curtis Jones is probably the only one of late who's really come out of the last week or so with credit. I mean, for me, I couldn't believe that he was on the bench for so long. I couldn't believe he wasn't starting against Brighton and, and the fact that he didn't get on. Um, and, and yesterday, he, he was the one who really kind of didn't look phased by the poor run of form or the identity of the opponents. He just kind of took the fight. But there was too many who sort of did. And, and um, to be fair to City, they work hard. They, they, I thought Guardiola not going with the recognised striker enabled them to get men behind the ball when Liverpool were breaking. And, and that's Liverpool's strength, isn't it? Getting forward in numbers, particularly in the wide areas. And they always had coverage for Cancelo and, and um, Zinchenko either side on the flanks. So Robertson and Mane and Trent and Salah couldn't do the damage. So I thought City defended quite well. And, and one of the few times Liverpool got in behind, it'd be, obviously it was when Diaz was a bit petrified and, and gave away the penalty. But yeah, I, I, I do agree on the point that... Um, but for too often, the, the, the big names haven't kind of stood up um, and, and been counted when they really needed to. And, and for me, the battle for me, I was just going, his, his standards are just dropping and dropping by each game. And I just think he's he just looks a shadow of himself. He, he's giving the ball away. He's not really looking to engineer passes in behind for, for Salah or Mane. He just looks completely off the pace. And, and, uh, and the knock-on effect from midfield to defence is just... Um, moving forward to the front line as well. It's just a, not a very good recipe at the moment. No, definitely. I agree with that from Gorsi. I, th- I think Firmino is by far the biggest worry at Liverpool right now. Just, just, I've always thought that when Liverpool play well, Firmino is usually at the heart of it. You know, and, and, and the last couple of seasons, you know, any Liverpool fan who's, who's, who's watched this team regularly will tell you that he, he plays such an important role in, in making every area of the team tick and he's just been off just been off all season and you know I, I think if there's one area where Klopp is going to have to find perhaps a, a succession plan or you know I don't know I don't want to break Firmino off but you know I think it's natural that the players come to the end of their cycle at certain clubs you know it's there and it's it's really difficult because Firmino is a very strange player in the sense that he came in as what an attacking midfielder played out wide then eventually became almost like a false nine for Liverpool and you know, how how do you go and replicate that? There aren't many players like him, so that's going to be, a, I think, an ongoing issue for Liverpool going forward. I think it, it's a bit difficult for Firmino, isn't it? Because, you know, 
think back to like the last kind of half dozen games almost. I think we've we've seen times when he's done he's done well. You know, obviously United in the um FA Cup, I thought he did well, Spurs, maybe even West Ham. But like these are games where, you know, what Liverpool are away from home and you know the other team, at least to a little bit more of an extent, is is taking the game to Liverpool a little bit. And in that respect, I think he suffered almost uniquely and more so than virtually any other player because of this season and, and the rigors of it. Like we said before, like the, the approach that a lot of teams are taking. And then finally, you know, he get he gets a bit of an opportunity and you know, some some more targets to press and teams who have been a little bit more adventurous. And a little bit of spark comes back and he looks like a better player, but and you think back to what was the game? I, th- I think it was United in the league, wasn't it? The nil-nil where he was playing through the middle and chances were falling to him. Not not great chances, but half chances and just ones where you think, right, we need a little bit of magic here. Liverpool were playing through the middle a little bit more because of you know the, partly because of the Thiago impact and effect as we as we've talked about as he comes into the team. And it's in those moments where you start thinking, if that was Diogo Jota, if that was someone who could go both ways, shoot more effectively with either foot when they're getting a chance in the middle, it, it would look better. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still torn on him. I, I do think there is a bit of drop-off in his form, probably going back into last season. But then you go back into last season and you've, you know, you've got lockdown, you've got those different circumstances, you've got games behind closed doors. So, I, I'm a little bit reluctant to write him off and, and, and I do think, just in a general sense, Liverpool needed to make that front three into a four and, have the ability to rest players. But yeah, it does feel like in, in various ways, it's, it's not going to be a season and the sooner shot is back, the better. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We'll get on to the succession planning and how Liverpool get back to, to where they want to be uh, towards the back end of the pod. But before that, I want to talk, Gorsty, about the, the impact of the, the home supporters. Last year, Liverpool won the Premier League by 18 points. And I've done a bit of digging. I saw it on Match of the Day and it made me curious that since the pandemic, Liverpool are now averaging a point fewer per game at Anfield as to what they were before the season. So working that out over the course of a campaign, Liverpool would be set to drop 19 points at home this season. I say they won the league title by 18 points last year. So I suppose that difference of having the supporters and not having the supporters is sort of laid out in in example there, given that Liverpool at the moment just seem to be completely misfiring at Anfield. Yeah, and, and you could kind of see that the seeds being sown for that last season. I mean, initially I, I just thought it was because Liverpool had won the league and they didn't really need to kind of go hell for leather anymore. And, and that was probably true to an extent. But even games like they laboured against Aston Villa, I think they scored two late goals there. Um, Drew with Burnley, they were the only points he dropped at Anfield um, last season. And I suppose you could sort of see it beginning there. But um, this, this season... generally they've done quite well up until the West Brom game and then since then it's just completely fell off a cliff hasn't it I think they've taken two points from the last 15 available at Anfield draws with Manchester United which is not a fantastic result but it's it's not a disaster but then should be beating West Brom particularly when you go a goal up so early and then defeats to Brighton and Burnley were were unthinkable weren't they you know if if you'd have said that before Christmas that Liverpool's home record is going to go against Burnley and then they're going to get beaten the very next game against Brighton um, you'd have laughed um, and then obviously yesterday was another tough one to take so um, yeah it's an interesting one and, and Guardiola said it himself didn't he? he he made no bones about it saying that um, playing at Anfield without fans is a hell of a lot easier and um, Manchester City's 18 year wait for winning Anfield was over but 
there is a bit of a asterisk next to that. Ever so determined to put asterisks next to everything over the last couple of seasons. That's the only one that we'll have one. Um, so we'll see if, uh, if City can repeat the trick when fifty-four thousand people are back in Anfield. Hopefully next season. Um, that fear factor needs to return sooner rather than later before then. But um, at the moment, you just can't see where it's going to come from. If I'm, if I'm honest. It's an easy thing to though, Joe, to say, isn't it? Oh, the fans aren't there and, and Liverpool are missing them. But even sort of going back to last season, we've referenced enough times the 14 games that Liverpool won by the odd goal last season. Six of those were at Anfield. And crucially, the wins against Leicester, Tottenham and even West Ham last year were games that were all won with goals in the final 15 minutes of games at Anfield as well. And Guardiola referenced it, didn't he? He said after Salah scores that penalty, Anfield would be erupting. And all of a sudden... We we could have a very, very different game on our hands. Absolutely. I mean, let's let's be fair. You know, since Klopp came in, one of the, the best things he did at Liverpool was was sort of synchronise and unite the fans and the, and the players and, and and use that almost as a weapon in Liverpool's arsenal. I mean, if you want to, if you, I mean, I've seen a lot of people, you know, last night and this morning say, "Oh, it's an excuse." You know, Liverpool should be able to cope, and, and yes, they should be able to cope. I'm not. I'm not saying they're, they're still a very good football team, but if you take away the fans, you know, it, it does make a massive difference. Let, let's face it, there's no Barcelona. You know, Liverpool don't come back and beat Barcelona 4-0 two years ago without Anfield. It, you know, you play that behind closed doors, it's a different game. And that's not disrespectful to the players. It's just that this is a team that almost plays on emotion. And, you know, some team are different. I, I think City and, you know, I always remember the Arsenal teams of, of Wenger were, were quite different in their style, you know, perhaps a, a little more calculated and a little more, you know, cold in their style. And that's fine. You know, it's a good style. It's a, it, it works well for them and, you know, it, it has its benefits. But I think Liverpool, just like perhaps United, were the, the great United teams of the past, um, the teams that almost played off the crowd, the, the fear factor of, of knowing all those teams knowing that they might concede in the last five, 10 minutes. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's affected Liverpool massively. It's no coincidence that as soon as we went into lockdown, that the things have changed for Liverpool. They haven't quite been as good. And, um, you know, the, the worrying thing for Liverpool is, you know, how long will it be before Anfield is full again? It could be, a, could be a very long time yet. And um, depending on how things pan out. So that's a problem, but, you know, the other big thing this season is injuries. And, I, and I'm still sure that Liverpool, would be, if not top, at least bang in this title race if it, if it wasn't for the injuries. And again, you know, people can bang on and say, oh, it's excuses, but it's it's not excuses, is it, when, when the injuries Liverpool have had are quite extraordinary. You know, you take the three big ones, Van Dijk, Gomez and, um, and Matip, and you add in every little injury they've had. You know, Kate has now been out for two months, Jota, two and a half months, uh, Mane's missed games here and there, Fabinho's missed games, Henderson's missed games, um, Firmino's missed games. I mean, you name it, Thiago missed a massive chunk after signing him. Um, players have missed games this season. It's it's quite extraordinary. And, you know, did the goalkeepers missed a lot of games? And I don't know any team that's dealt with injuries at this level. And I, I just don't understand why people cannot keep, keep expecting Liverpool to perform as they are. Put it this way, if Liverpool sold all those players... Liverpool sold the three defenders and, and sold other players. Would you expect Liverpool to be as good? And, and you can't replace them all. I, I get, you know, you, I, I myself have been critical of the transfer strategy in the sense that I think they just took a gamble in the summer on centre-half. It didn't work. 
Um, and again, you know, in the window, leaving it so late, you know, I think they were hoping they'd have players back fit. It, it didn't work. But you can't replace the Jossers. You can't replace the, the, the Cases. You can't replace Thiago. You, you can't replace Mane. These are, these are players that, you know, are picking up in injuries here and there that are just... They're just putting the brakes on Liverpool. They can't get any momentum because of them. And it really winds me up when people like it. I'm sure we'll get to him, but I can't help myself. But Roy Keane sitting there on, you know, on punditry. He was a crap manager. Great player, crap manager, but can sit there and just talk about desire. Desire and Liverpool don't want it. They didn't come out and say that they wanted to win the title. Oh, it's total nonsense. It's like, it's just a, a really easy, simplistic way of, of thinking about it, isn't it? And saying, oh, Klopp's made excuses. But, I've, I've watched almost every press conference Klopp's done this season. Gorsi, so, you know, you certainly have, Sean. You, you, you've watched a lot of them as well. I don't remember Klopp coming out every single week and saying we've got injuries. He could have hammered this line. He could have said every week, you know, what can people expect of us? But he, but he hasn't really. You know, he does. He is a bit of a sore loser at times. But, you know, he's, he's, he's a, man, you know, a top, top-level manager. Pep Guardiola is a terrible loser. Alex Ferguson was a terrible loser. Arsene Wenger. You'll know, guy. Terrible loser. You know. He didn't see it. Show me a good loser. They're a loser. Um, you know, I, to to say the cops using excuses is just nonsense. And Keane can sit there with his little grumpy face and try and make out like he's he's Mister No Nonsense, but he's he's the total opposite of that. He's just he just talks utter rubbish. And Gary Neville's the same. You know, Gary Neville's going, oh, "How come Liverpool can't hit the heights?" It's obvious, Gary. You know, like. It, it, it's totally obvious, and just watch Liverpool every week. You know they're, they're they're exhausted. The players are bereft of confidence because they've been absolutely torn apart by injuries. And you can criticise their transfer strategy, yeah, but you can't you can't forget that these injuries have happened, and Liverpool can't be as good. You know, and I just hope that they can get players back fit, and the confidence comes back after that. Because getting the confidence back will be that big challenge once those players come back fit. Joe's not a fan of Roy Keane, Sean. Um, I think we gathered that one. But in terms of Liverpool, have they sort of set the bar so high for themselves it was unachievable to re-reach regardless of the injuries? There's a stat going out. It's up to now the poorest title defence in terms of points drop off 27 points worse off than this time last season. That caveated against the fact after 23 games last season, Liverpool had only dropped two points. They were absolutely unbelievable last season and they were never going to be at that level, were they? No, absolutely. And, and that's what gives the lie to a shout of, to Keane shout of Liverpool being bad champions. They were absolutely exceptional champions last season. And, and like you say, it, at any, any level of performance that anywhere near match that in these circumstances, I just think would be, would be virtually impossible. Just on Keane, first of all, I, I quite like him, to be honest. I think he's quite an interesting part of the punditry mix. But like like the guys have said, I think he's you get invective, you get hyperbole, you don't get much much kind of nuanced analysis from it. And with all this, I think he's tied himself in knots and given quite a two-dimensional take on it, really. Because you know, we've 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 all watched the, the punditry that he does. We've done a fair few stories on him on about him on the Echo too, because you know, people do take an interest in what he said. But I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying up to the middle of January. He was still saying that he thought Liverpool were the ones to beat for the title. So if he's saying that then, it all sounds like a bit of revisionism and, and you know, hindsight kind of operating now, really, to, for him to be saying they're bad champions and the seeds have been sown for quite a while. And, you know, he was drawing parallels, wasn't he, with the, the Villa performance and saying, well, Van Dijk was there for that one. And, yeah, I, I, I just think it sounded like 
maybe he'd wanted to say these things previously and and perhaps that was what he really thought you know a few weeks ago but he was he was a bit fearful of saying it in case Liverpool did turn a corner and did beat City and did kick on but yeah it it it, it sounds a bit hollow really and and I think like Joe said it this season is just a perfect storm isn't it there's there's four or five things huge factors really injuries being one of them the nature of the season being another the lack of fans being a third where I think if Liverpool had a couple of these things to contend with, they could have plotted a way through this. And, and you know, let, let's be honest, they were pretty close to doing so. I think, you know, a couple of those games over Christmas and into New Year came down to fairly fine margins. You know, if Origi puts his chance away against Burnley or whatever, or, you know, Alisson doesn't make, even if Alisson doesn't make these errors, you know, we're only talking 24 hours ago and it puts a different complexion on things. But yeah, I'd, you know, the fans as well, I know you guys have already touched on it, but I think we've we've kind of seen all sides of that with Liverpool. I know you can obviously make the case that every team misses their fans. Or, you know, look at think of a team like Sheffield United. I think they've massively missed them as well, and some of the newly promoted teams. But I, I think it was Arsenal knows it's the difference. <laughs> okay, sorry, maybe they're the exception. No, no, no. <laughs> but but yeah, I think it was no coincidence that it it was the away games that got Liverpool out of their slump because you know ev- everyone's missing that fan factor, aren't they? You know. Pretty much think I'm right in saying that in elite football, like home games are won around 50% of the time. That's certainly not been the case over the last season or so and all during the lockdown period. But yeah, I think Liverpool have missed that rocket the fans give their own players, the intimidation they put on the away players. I think just getting tired legs over the line as well over this really stodgy period. And, and you know, Liverpool did have a little bit of it, didn't they, in early December? It was at that Wolves game and I think that there was a big lift there. I think you could say the same for the Spurs game. So yeah, I think it's it's a perfect storm and analysis that tries to boil it down to one factor or or doesn't even offer any is is missing the point really. I I, I agree with what's been said actually on the Roy Keane factor. I, I just think Sky keep him around just to, to just for when Manchester United stumble, they can get a little two minute clip that they can put out on YouTube and Twitter of them fuming because it's funny, isn't it? It's it's like say like Arsenal fans TV and I know loads of of supporters who don't follow Arsenal go to that when Arsenal lose because they like to see. The, the the passion and and the, and the humour that, that that becomes from people when when you're kicking off. I mean, it's that that that's what you get in Keem when when he's he's making you know wither and put dance to David De Gea and whatever else, and and it might be funny to watch. And some of the sound bites are, are a bit near to the bone, but as an actual analyst, he's he's not offering much, is he? You know, he, he shows your medals, and you can't really question the fact that he's won seven Premier League titles. So we should, in theory, be more than qualified than anyone to sit in the chair and say, "Well, the midfield has done this when he should have done that." But he doesn't. Sit. It's always the, he always questions the desire. He always questions the attitude. And there's no actual kind of in-depth look as to why a player might be struggling. You know, should he have gone with his left foot instead of his right? Has he let it run across his body? Should he have got the tackle in earlier? There's not a, not a kind of technical analysis that you'd expect of one of the best midfielders of the Premier League era. It's all about passion and, and all that kind of stuff and. Um, I honestly just think they keep him around for when United stumble and, and they can stick stick him off for two minutes on YouTube and kick him off. Yeah, I agree with you. It's the same with him, him and Neville, really. Yeah. Neville, how many times have we watched Neville like sit, stare down the sky camera and give his little monologue about why Man United are finished and they'll never come back? And then suddenly this season they've had a decent season and they've all changed their tune on Solskjaer. And, they tried and to do it, didn't game, they, on you know, Saturday? They tried to do it on yeah. Saturday at Old Trafford yeah. after the, the draw in the last minute. The light went out on him and it was sort of, yeah, move on because it was, it was one of those. But um, 
Joe, in, in terms of where Liverpool fixed this then, is it a case of the players return from injury or does this now need to be sort of a, I suppose, head back to the defeat to, to Spurs at Wembley all that time ago? Jurgen Klopp since then probably hasn't really had much thinking and reworking of the team to do. Are we now at that stage where Liverpool do need something fresh and new? I think I think so, yeah. I think I think that there does need to be a bit of freshness into the squad and they'll deal with that in the summer. And I think, you know, the area... Um, I think Doyle said it for a long time. He didn't expect the front three to stay together quite this long. And I think that's an area where you might want to freshen up. It's hard to say. My only worry now is that this season's done a bit of damage in terms of mindset and in terms of confidence. And even though, you know, I think that there are mitigating circumstances that could be in, in the players' minds and, you know, they could look back at, at some of these defeats and not quite believe in themselves anymore. You know, I think the reason they went and won the league is because after in two seasons, they built up that momentum and that belief. And, you know, clearly the, the 2019 season when they finished so, so close to City made them realise we can go out and win any game. And they went and did that in almost every game the following season. So my my worry is that this is there's, there'll be a hangover to this. And you, you hope that once they get the players back and someone as strong as like a Van Dyke will, will, will make sure that doesn't happen. Um, but I do think there's going to be need, there's going to need some freshening up. You know, I think he started trying to do that by bringing in Thiago, by bringing in Jota. Um, and I do think, you know, they need to start freshening up some of, some of the backing cast as well. You know, I think Shakiri was a really clever signing when they bought him a few years ago. But you can see where... You know, he probably needs to move on now and they need to bring someone else in. The same probably goes for Origi. Um, you know, City make a lot of these changes every year, don't they? They, they, they bring in a lot of players and they have a high turn, turnover, probably a lot higher than Liverpool. But it keeps those squad players fresh. And, and I just think Liverpool needs to do that now. I don't think they need major, major, major changes, but, you know, maybe one big signing and some clever backup signings because that's another thing I saw and I, I know I shouldn't really give them the, the time of day but I saw Andy Gray yesterday saying Liverpool's backup players just aren't as good as Man Would James? he said would James Milner get into Man City's side well no Andy of course he wouldn't because he's he's not meant to be playing much for Liverpool he's 35 and he wouldn't get into Liverpool's team when they're all fit would they it's just like total ignorance towards what's going on you know and I, and I just think that Liverpool do need to freshen up those players now um you know they've been they've been really good servants. You know James Milner's another one, really really good servant. But you just start needing some some different options off the bench. You know Curtis Jones has emerged as one as in the last eighteen months. Uh, Jota is is obviously one. And um, you know I just think they'll need one or two more. They'll, they'll probably lose Wijnaldum, so that'll be um, a big miss in midfield that they'll have to change. But yeah, you know, I, but I think others will be okay. And you're not going to change the fullbacks, are you? You're not going to change when Van Dijk's fit. You're not going to change him. It'll be interesting to see his long-term partner in defensive. So that might be an area. You're not going to change the goalkeeper midfield. Probably not too much. So there'll be evolution, but I don't think you need to tear this team apart. My only worry is that confidence hangover. How difficult, Gorsley, will it be from a financial point of view? Or is this really where FSG are scrutinised and tested this summer? Because you think this team that's been built has been largely built off the sale of Felipe Coutinho and a few smart transactions with backup players, thinking the likes of Dom Solanke, probably 100, 120 million net put in by FSG. But it's not really, well, Barcelona, we know their financial situation. We've spoken about Firmino already, maybe not firing. Maybe there was a feeling that you could have sold a Mane or a Salah and that would have helped put the money back into the team. But it doesn't really seem as though that's going to be 
an option and financially players aren't going to be cheap for Liverpool looking to buy top-end talent. Yeah, well, well, I hope it's not an option because I think Liverpool should be past the point of having to sell a major star to kind of replenish the squad. Um, we all know the FSG operates with a specific financial model and for what are we on now, coming up to 11 years, it's, it's served well, hasn't it, particularly over the last three or four Certainly, but um, there's no there's no getting away from it. January was was a bit of a missed opportunity for them. This was a chance for them to steer away a little bit from that um, from that policy when needs must needs were an absolute must, and they should have should have been holding up you know press conferences for new signings on the first of January, a New Year's Day press conference if you like for for new defenders who were coming in. But instead, we wait until the first of February, and it's a player from the Championship. It's a young guy who's who's coming on loan as a bit of a try try as you buy deal and. People at the club are actually referring to the Kabak deal as a as a try try before you buy if you like. So certainly some apprehension there. Um, maybe a little bit more than the letting on, but um, yeah, th- th- this summer is, is probably a big opportunity for FSG to not so much rip up their blueprints, but certainly adjust it and tweak it and keep this Liverpool team at the forefront of the game because um, the. I mean, what one, I mean, as, as Joe, Joe points out, and he's right to point out the injuries, but once everyone's back and Liverpool have got a clean bill of health, they're, they're just as likely to win the Premier League title as Manchester City. But certainly the the, 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 the backup cast, if you like, haven't covered themselves in glory when needed this season. And if you're getting rid of two, three, four of them, then you know players of at least a, a similar standard are going to be needed to come in, and, and even that will cost. So um, this, uh, I think this summer is going to be a massive... Um, Massive moments in the FSG kind of tenure. Yeah, I suppose, Sean, has this last 11 months sort of been the culmination of a perfect storm? What was it, Bournemouth in the, the Premier League, the last home game with fans? I think I'm right in saying that was the 7th of March last year. So we just passed uh, 11 months of that, but no fans obviously there to celebrate the title win. No fans now. We've already spoken about the impact that's having now on games of helping Liverpool get over the line, the injuries. And now the, the financial situation as it is for Liverpool, when it's clear now to see that they probably are in need of bringing in some big players. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's, you know, Klopp's been quite clear about it, hasn't he? That the priority now is top four and getting that will allow hopefully some of the summer plans that we were told all the noises from the club in January where that recruitment was looking ahead to the summer. So you'd like to think fans could expect some activity there, all being well on the financial side of it. Well, yeah, I, I just think like in terms of more immediate fixes before we get there, because I think speculating about the summer is, is so uncertain, really, because do you know what kind of condition the likes of Van Dijk and Gomez are going to come back in? You know, you hope Van Dijk hasn't really had many serious injuries at all as he through his career. You hope he heals well and, and comes back still a top player. Same for Gomez, who, who you know, has, has done that already, hasn't he, with some, some fairly serious injuries. But there's issues there. But But then on the other side of that, I think... Thiago and Jota, you could expect them to be, whether well, you could say better players, but certainly players more accustomed to the rhythms and routines of being a Liverpool player by the time you come to, to next term. You might have potentially Harvey Elliott coming back as, as a Liverpool player. So there's a lot to look forward to there. But yeah, I just think, like you said, Guy, you've got to see it in that in that longer and kind of wider context. And there have been so many battles to contend with at Liverpool this, this season so far in terms of just, you know, getting players fit, like almost assessing the squad day by day, game by game, who's going to be ready if those players played before, what what's their load and their kind of minutes so far. I think, you know, it, it goes beyond that too, doesn't it? I mean, that Bob was talking about 
transfer discussions that were happening daily through December and into January. And, you know, I don't necessarily for one minute think there was proper arguments behind the scenes, really, because, you know, Klopp and FSG certainly outwardly always seem to see quite eye to eye and him and Edwards have a very close working relationship. But it must have been difficult, wasn't it, to settle on that strategy. And I think the very fact that it was left quite late spoke volumes really a little bit, didn't it, that planning wasn't ideal, should we say, at the, at the very least. But yeah, I just think now they've got to be as flexible as they can be. He's got to reconstitute that midfield, trust his defenders, and just try to do things a little bit differently, really. I think I've seen a lot of people talk about when Liverpool fell into that, sorry, not Liverpool, when Dortmund fell into that prolonged slump. And it almost seems like Klopp doubled down on his methods there a little bit and just trusted what he knew had always worked. Um, and obviously it didn't quite work out for him, but the underlying numbers behind those performances were seen as positive. And that's a big thing, isn't it? That Liverpool's recruitment team picked up on and, and swooped in to get him. But I think this season is so different that I'd quite like to, in the short term, see a bit more flexibility from them. You know, you think back to City away, they had that 4-2-3-1 shape and just threw something a little bit different out there at Man City. Even more recently, West Ham, it was a diamond. It was a bit different. So, yeah, I think the summer is going to be huge, but there's there's a hell of a lot to be determined between now and then. And I think a bit more flexibility, a bit more element of surprise could hopefully get Liverpool over the line and into that top four. Yeah, certainly. And just final point, Joe, all isn't lost this season. Still the Champions League knockout phase to come. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't need to sound negative, but my, my worry about Champions League football is that, you know, again, Anfield has been Liverpool's big weapon in, in the Champions League um, for many a year. So, you know, without the fans there, that, that could be tough. But look again, you know, if Liverpool can get players fit and, and, and just get themselves back into a groove, they're capable of beating anyone. You know, I think Leipzig will be very tricky. So if they can get past Leipzig, um, you know, what's that? That's, that's sort of mid-March by the time that tires over, is it? Is that, am I right in saying that? And then if they can get through there, then, you know, players might be back fit. Liverpool might look at, in, in a little bit better shape to go and attack the, the latest. I still think Liverpool, you know, can can make sure they finish second. I don't, you know, I, I, I'm not that worried about the top four. I think Liverpool will get in it. I, you know, I think they've got too much quality and I think they will get over the line. I just think they need to put, a, put a results together and, and get over this hump, um, which I think they can do. And they can can get players back fit and they can get better. So, all's not lost. Um, and the Champions League's a bloody good trophy to win, isn't it? So, let's just pile all the energy into that. Cool. Steve, do you want to say? No, I'm looking forward to the uh, the resumption of the Champions League. It's just it's something a bit different, isn't it? Take away the, the, the moans and the groans that we seem to have every week and, and the crit- critiques. So, um, yeah, looking forward to Monday's press conference, actually, and um, going from there. Yeah, certainly. Well, that wraps it up for us for now. Of course, a trip to Leicester to come out the weekend. We'll be back with the Blood Red podcast on Friday. But from myself, Guy Clark, Paul Gorse, Joe Rimmer and Sean Bradbury, that's your lot for this edition of the Blood Red podcast. See you next time. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.